how do we help kids be able to navigate learning differently um, outside of like, am I getting it right or am I getting it wrong? Because that in itself is intimidating. So how do we think about the things that kids care about and build curriculum to say, hey, what material are you going to make your shoes out of that's going to eliminate the crease like when you don't um, when you wear them Hmm. or that's going to make it easier or less um, often for them to scuff or get dirty? I'm Sarah Fenske. This is St. Louis on the Air. Science, technology, engineering, and math are collectively known as STEM. And when it comes to jobs in these fields, black women are underrepresented. And that's a shame not just because this work is important, but also because it's well compensated. But one black woman knows all too well that the situation doesn't have to be this way, and she's doing her part to help black girls in St. Louis realize that. Cynthia Chappell is a research and development chemist. She's also the founder of Black Girls Do STEM, and she joins us to discuss her work with that organization. Cynthia, welcome. Hi, Sarah. Thank you so much for having me. We're so glad that you're able to join us today, and I'm so excited to talk about this organization you founded. I understand Black Girls Do STEM came out of what you had originally conceived as just a social awareness campaign. What was that about? Yes. And so, you know, I had graduated graduate school over at SIUE here in the region in 2015. And, you know, I had just had these moments of reflection and just like recognizing my own journey, you know, from a kid on the South Side through to high school and then secondary education and undergrad and beyond and sort of my STEM journey and wanting to sort of raise awareness and to let, you know, other Black women in STEM sort of coming behind me know about the accomplishments of Black women in STEM Mm -hmm. present and past, right, to help, you know, Black women sort of see themselves and know that there's a network of other Black women out here doing similar things. So I really just wanted to, like, share the knowledge and the wealth um, to sort of encourage people, um, black women in the STEM fields to keep going. And that was it, the original sort of idea and, and was um, in this 2015. Just a, was this just a social media thing then? When you, when you Yeah, it was it? just social media. So we were just like, you know, I was um, just posting about the accomplishments of like women in STEM today and the historical accomplishments of black women in STEM. So it was just social media awareness. Absolutely. So then what led you to go all in on this and make this a a formal nonprofit. Yeah, you know, in 2018, you know, I just was doing a lot more um, STEM outreach here in the St. Louis region and doing a lot of events in the name of like girls in STEM and increasing girls math and science interests and curiosity. And I felt like even in those populations of students at those events, there was sort of like this um, public school, like middle to low income student population that I felt that was still sort of missing from those opportunities. Mm -hmm. And so in 2018, I just sort of started asking community organizations and community sites, like, hey, would this sort of workshop with girls at your community site be of interest to you? And surprisingly, people just started saying yes. <laughs> and so it was just like me and at that point, two other people that just started doing STEM fairs and like going and doing STEM workshops at community sites in 2018 that really sort of jumped off this idea that like we could be a program that does STEM workshops with girls in community 
community and subsequently had a very successful series of pilots in 2019 and officially became a nonprofit in March of 2019. Mm-hmm. Um, again, after just like the outpour of support and the success of everything that we were doing. So tell me what happens at a STEM workshop? So what happens at a STEM workshop, you know, we like to say that girls come in and this is their environment, right? So we're very intentional about making sure that as girls come into this environment on a Saturday at a community site, that they're able to set their own ground rules, right? They're able Mm -hmm. to set like how they're going to engage and really take some ownership in the space. And we like to tell our facilitators and our volunteers that we're there to facilitate learning and to guide them, but to really let their curiosity sort of show up and speak for themselves. And so with that, a lot of our workshops are integrated, right? So it's geared toward a career pathway. So any moment a girl could be doing something involving tech or engineering or using a scientific process or engineering process to apply a technology. So it's basically, you know, you know, from walking in and setting your ground rules and doing some journaling to like doing a build in a group activity to doing some one-on-one research about a career pathway um, to then doing some type of social emotional learning activity where we may talk about bullying or social media um, to girls sort of like finishing off the day with whatever they created or whatever they designed or built um, and then leaving the workshop. So it's kind of like fun. It's just all over the place, Mm -hmm. again, to really give them some ownership in the space on what they create. It does sound so fun. It makes me want to go back and and be a girl again and not be so intimidated by some of these subjects. Um, Do you find that girls are are maybe a little standoffish and you have to warm them up or are they all in once they show up? No, you have to warm them up. We we have girls come at 10 a.m. So we do like breakfast. Yeah. Some mornings we start <laughs> off with some yoga. You definitely have to warm them up. But I would say by the time our first break comes halfway through, girls are like really energetic and all over the place, um, you know, building new friendships, finding themselves very comfortable in the space. I think what we're able to do very easily is just lower the barrier of expectation, right? Like we're here to have fun and we're here to engage. Yes, we're going to do some learning. Yes, we're going to be talking about some STEM career pathways, but like just letting them know that there is no right or wrong answers, mm-hmm. right? Like we're here to, lo- to learn, to mess up, um, to create something new. And so I think that sort of like gives them the onus to just become comfortable right away uh, with figuring things out. Yeah. And I think so many of us think of STEM as like, oh, you're going to be doing complicated calculations. And, and you've said that uh, STEM ties back to so many things that people don't realize. Give us an example of something you might use to, to get somebody introduced to this topic that's that's not quite so scary. Yeah, you know, we talk about STEM as this sort of sophisticated um these sophisticated disciplines, but really it's our everyday life. We're all technologists, right? When we work our cell phones, Hmm. you know, when we do a software upgrade on our phones and we understand like what happens, we're all sort of like mathematicians when we, you know, just go to the store and pay for something and we count out the change, right? Like this idea that it has to be high level, it's just not true. And so for us, we do career pathways. So we talk about like cosmetic chemistry, for example, is one of our career pathways. 
pathways. And girls like love lip gloss. Um, <laughs> we're focusing this year on astronomy and girls are so into like zodiac signs and sort of like what this means or what that means. And so this idea that we can take the interests of our students and things that they do every day um, all the way down to like designing tennis shoes, right? Like we all like Nikes. Well, that's them designing a tennis shoe, hmm. selecting the materials that you're going to use to make the shoe, et cetera, right? You know, we had, you had students that care a lot about their appearance. And I remember growing up and my Air Force Ones and not wanting to get them scuffed or crinkled, right? And so how do we think about the things that kids care about and build curriculum to say, hey, what material are you going to make your shoes out of that's going to eliminate the crease like when you don't, um, when you wear them hmm. or that's going to make it easier or less um, often for them to scuff or get dirty. And those are just things that kids already care about. They're already thinking about. And we can take that and we can say, let's create a STEM workshop around these ideas um, that's interesting to kids. And so those are just some examples between making lip balms and perfumes, thinking about different materials to make different um, tennis shoes or cloth or clothing, et cetera, to think about how we can integrate the things that kids care about, they're already interested in, that they're talking about into a STEM workshop. Yeah, I mean, you make a great case here that there's a lot more kids who are into STEM than even realize they're into STEM. So it, it sounds mm -hmm. like maybe the hardest part is just getting them into through that door. Yeah, I think we just got to get them through the door. And it's so funny because I think our greatest resource is parents because often, you know, these days parents, some parents hear STEM and they're a little bit intimidated, mm -hmm. right? Like they don't quite understand what it means. And so we have to be so intentional about making sure that we really bring it down to everybody's understanding that we sort of like decolonize STEM as this whole movement around like how do we begin to speak the language of everyday people so it's not so intimidating. Right. How do we begin to see math as not just right or wrong, but as processes and as thinking and as a way to like move from A to B. Right. And how do we help kids be able to navigate learning differently um, outside of like, am I getting it right or am I getting it wrong? Because that in itself is intimidating, because if you get something wrong so much, you begin to think it's not for you or you're not good at it. Mm -hmm. um, and so really changing how our parents sort of think of STEM and understand it all the way down to how our students approach it and how they sort of internalize those ideas about themselves when they don't get something right per se on the first try, right? We need to give them grace and permission to sort of fail, fail fast, fail again, and then get back up and know that they can still exist in this space. We're talking today to Cynthia Chappell. She's the founder of Black Girls Do STEM, based right here in St. Louis. She's also a research and development chemist. Uh, Cynthia, I'm very curious to hear about your own journey on this. What first got you interested in STEM? Yeah, you know, it's so funny because people ask me that, and I don't think I ever really became interested in STEM. <laughs> I loved math growing up, and I was just naturally good at math, and I was like a little competitive when it came to math, and so I wanted to be like, the best, you know, math student ever. And science was just okay. But I think people saw like teachers and other individuals saw things in me. I had older siblings that was at universities that I got to go visit campuses, you know, participated in like an engineering challenge at one of my um, older siblings, um, siblings weekend at the U of I, you know, I grew up on the south side of Chicago. And then I participated in some biology camps at other universities as a high school student. And so I think it was like the opportunity 
opportunities that I got and the access I got to these other programs that continued to nurture sort of my desire um, to really like math and how it was integrated into the sciences um, is really just got me to this place of thinking like, okay, what can I do with with this science and this math and this biology know-how. And so I chose like forensic chemistry because here I was a kid that wanted to like do something challenging and do something that was really going to make me think and keep that curiosity in my line, my, my desire to ask questions about the world around me going, but also be helpful to society. So I was like, I'm going to be a forensic scientist. And once I knew about CSI and forensic science, it was, it just made sense. It was like, oh, there's math. There's inquiry, there's challenge, but it's going to do something beneficial to society simultaneously. And that's when I was sort of hooked on this idea, I would say, as a junior in high school of being a forensic scientist. And so is it forensic science then that you're doing today? No, actually, I sort of pivoted from forensic science uh, rather quickly. I came to the St. Louis region originally um, to work over Anheuser-Busch and then subsequently decided to go back to graduate school. And from that, decided that I really enjoyed um, just doing sort of applied research, still hmm. um, research that's about applying or creating something that people are going to use in the real world. And so that sort of took me into the research chemistry role that I subsequently was in for the last five and a half years here locally. So can you give us an example? What's something that you found yourself researching? Yeah, so as a graduate student, I research um, polymer nanocomposites, um, so material chemistry, and I very much, um, even if forensics was interested in materials chemistry, um, as an intern, I did fiber analysis and a lot of microscopy work, and so all about like examining different materials, understanding the chemical similarities and differences. And so it was sort of natural that I went to graduate school and I still wanted to focus on materials, um, but mm -hmm. more material and polymer synthesis and building sort of um, engineering materials that's going to be used across many industries to reinforce polymers, um, such as the auto industry, when we think about how cars are now built with less steel and more plastics. And so that's sort of like the application for some of the research I was doing as a graduate student and subsequently the similar research I was doing um, as a chemist in industry. Hmm. Wow. I mean, it's you can talk about th these things in a way that makes sense to a total layman. And yet it's yeah. clear you're also talking about some really complicated stuff. I'm impressed by how you balance that there. I, I'm also curious, you know, we've talked about how black women are underrepresented in this field. Um, I imagine that was even more pronounced a decade ago. Was it hard to find mentors when you were coming up? Yeah, I would say it was hard to find mentors when I was coming up. You know, I transferred schools halfway through my high school experience, and I went from a predominantly, you know, African-American school to a predominantly white school at that time. Mm -hmm. And so my junior year um, at the second high school, there was specifically a mentoring program called the Taraji Project that was for black girls um, because it was a very small population of black girls at the school at the time. And one of the leads for the mentoring program was an aerospace engineer who had worked for NASA. And I thought she was like the best thing that had ever dropped into my life at that point. Um, and I just remember just thinking that she was so cool and her telling me about her job as an engineer and how she used math 
math and her work and like she worked for NASA and she only had to work nine months out of the year, but she got paid for 12. <laughs> and I was just like, this is the life. Like someone signed me up because I'm definitely going into some field of science and engineering because mm-hmm. um, you think about how you can help society, you can help people and create really cool things, but you also like get paid well, you have flexibility and like you're doing like challenging things that excite you. So um, that was a high school experience that really just fell in my lap that I was so grateful for these women who just saw, you know, an opportunity to go do something for black girls in a, in a space where they thought it was needed. Mm-hmm. And I feel like, you know, me doing black girls to STEM is reminiscence of that, right? Of saying, look, I think there's this sort of void um, of participation and we're missing out on a population of girls and really just trying to fill that void and do something in community that was positive. Boy, it does just feel like you've come full circle on that. And that's that's so great to hear. And, you know, we just have one minute left here and there's so much more I want to talk to you about. But for those who are in this field and might be interested in getting involved with Black Girls Do STEM, are you still looking for, for more mentors or do you have what you need at this point? Yeah, we're looking for more mentors. We're looking for more partners and we're always accepting donations. You know, our tag lag is volunteer partner donate. And so now through March, we will be looking for volunteers. We have a volunteer orientation happening every month mm. um, on the last Tuesday of the month. And you can find that on our website at bgdstem.com. Um, we're always looking for partners, people who want to come and think about how we can span our, our capacity in different communities throughout our region. And finally, donations. And we're specifically making the acts that you be a doer and help black girls keep doing STEM in our region mm. um, by making a recurring $40 a month donation um, every month for the 2021 program year to support our work. And that supports one girl for the entire year and all of our capacity building and technology endeavors um, as well. Well, that's a a lot of ways people can help there. And that's great. You made just a a very succinct summary there of all the things people should be doing. That's bgdstem.com. We'll also get that linked on our website. That's stlpublicradio.org. And Cynthia Chappell, founder of Black Girls Do STEM, I want to thank you so much for joining us today and, and sharing this story. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I definitely appreciate it. Do you find yourself regularly listening to episodes of St. Louis on the Air? Suggest us to a friend you think might enjoy our conversations. And leave us a review and rating on Apple Podcasts on the App Store. It's the simplest way to help people discover our show. Thanks. Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association. Missouri produces wood pallets, railroad ties, white oak barrels, hardwood floors, and more. Details on the variety of products made in the state are at ChooseWood.com.